Hello and thank you for listening to episode 367 of 60MW. I'm Dave. And I'm Tom. And this is the Decade of Decadence show for May 2021, brought to you by Dean of the Dead, Hot Horror Sources, who, of course, we shall start with some news, mate. We've got a little bit more news that we can leak out about Dean. Uh... Hopefully, everybody listening, you all follow him on his social media. Links to all of that are in the podcast notes uh, in every Decade of Decadence show. He's put up on Instagram, since we last recorded, some shots of a new photo shoot that he did, which looks so good. Uh, he's been put, of course, they were shot with green screen, um, and he's got some assistants with him, and he's been put in all sorts of horror-related places which look really good mate um yeah have you seen those tom on on dean's instagram yeah they're really good they're cracking the cracking photographs aren't they also on his shop and where you can get all the great sources that we always talk about uh he's got some beanies now everybody likes the beanie i know we're coming out of winter and we're into spring although looking out of the window right now you think we were just heading into winter the way the weather's been so yeah Get those beanie hats while you can. They look really yeah. good. Yeah, who would have thought we need them now? So. Exactly. Yeah, could have done with them today. We took uh, took podcast Bodie out for a walk, and yeah, all rugged up, and could have done with one of those. He's also been immortalised in uh, in a comic strip. I get some comic um, graphic novel, I should say, um, artwork that looks amazing. Uh, so again, check out his Instagram and have a look at that. That looks so good. Uh, Fried Barry, we talked about last episode, didn't we, Tom? With we the, did. The special Fried Barry sauce that he'd made, and we were salivating at the thought of being able to try that. Fried Barry himself has uh, made a little promo video about it. Well, of course, it's you know with the help of the director and writer, Ryan Kruger. And <laughs> if you get the chance, everybody nip online and have a look at Fried Barry uh, eating some of Dean's fried berry sauce. It's it's something you won't forget. I'll put it that way. <laughs> as, it, as is everything fried berry related, let's get it right. You're never going to forget anything to do with that. And finally, Dean has got a podcast. He has started a podcast. Now, of course, he's, he's been guested on many podcasts. He loves his horror films. He's very well versed in horror films. Uh, so he started a show. He's interviewing a lot of people from the horror genre now he's interviewed um and the name oh people again are going to be screaming at me the guy who played leatherface in texas chainsaw 2 he's interviewed him uh he's interviewed uh somebody from society the film uh he's got some other horror related guests upcoming so uh yes make sure that you subscribe now as well as to us of course uh to dean's podcast uh, for your little bit of uh horror horror chat so that'll be nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. All got, and of course, as everywhere begins to open up, he's appearing live in different places with his sources that you can try and buy. And uh, yeah, if you do see him at, at any of the events, just mention 60MW to him and uh, say hello. He's a, he's a nice guy. He'd be uh, always up for a chat with you. So Tom, 80s related stuff. I've got quite a bit of it. I've got oh dear. Well, I've, I've, I mean, since we last spoke, mm-hmm. we're going to talk 80s related stuff. I suppose we should mention what's now on my head. Oh, lead the way. I think that's a fitting way to kick off the show, mate. Well, I think anyone who knows me, or God, anyone who's listened to 80s Picture House and then onto uh, 60MW here as well, will know this was pretty 
inevitable, wasn't it? I think it's it's been coming for a long time. <laughs> well, obviously, the uh, um, hairdressers have had been closed for a large part of the year so far, up till April. And since last March, when, air quotes, all of this started, uh, their hair's been growing and growing and growing um, from head and chin. And not long into uh, the start of it all, I was just like, you know what, this is it. This is the time. Like, hairdressers are going to be open sparingly. Um, It's time to think about getting a mallet. And getting a mallet, I did. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't hold back at all, mate. I mean, fair play to you. You went for it big time. I, yeah, I mean, I I reduced the beard size as well because I didn't want a massive beard. The beard's quite the shortest I've had it since um, after I uh, shaved it off a charity when Mm -hmm. it started to grow back then. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, I was... it's one of those things you're just like, is this gonna like, is this gonna work? Will I, will it look good on me? Because you just don't know, do you? When you, you no, you don't change something up so drastically. So um, I was a little nervous on the day, more excited than nervous. Mm. And uh, um, Rob at uh, my place, uh, Courage Noble in Norwich, uh, did a hell of a job. He he had a hell of a job on his hands and an hour to do it. <laughs> <laughs> when um, was, he took did great you satisfaction ask- in. Um, uh, shaving the beard off. Oh, oh. beard looks uh, good now. You know what? I saw you the first time when you sent us a photograph and you had your beard done. And, and we're going to talk about this guy again a little bit later. I thought your beard looked very Chuck Norris. Yes, well, um, that's what Rob said at the end. He goes, uh, yeah, he did compare it to Chuck Norris. I mean, I guess there is that. Um, he didn't have as much fun cutting through the hair. My hair is very thick and long, like some, some of the thickest and longest he's seen. <laughs> And he used um, a comb and a blade to uh, thin it all out, which uh, you can imagine will wear on the arms after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did it, and I was a bit like, oh, my God, it was such a drastic from uh, as hairy as I was. And before that, as shortened, smart, I guess, as it was, yeah. uh, with a long beard, now just so different. And... Yeah, I've had nothing but good feedback from all sorts of people. So nice. So somehow I got it. I made it work. So and I'm <laughs> quite happy with it. I'm um, it's coming on for five weeks in coming uh, coming oh, up that's now. Gone quick. Uh, which I guess we must have recorded just before um, I had it done. Yeah, yeah, I think we did. Um, so yeah, it's five weeks on Tuesday. I would get it um, trimmed uh, six weeks in. So, um, but no, it's. It's looking good. The beard, surprisingly, with my hair growth, um, hasn't sprouted out of all control. Um, <laughs> is that if I thought that? I looked at my mirror today. I was like, this beard, you know, considering this is my hair and how unruly it gets and how quickly it grows, yeah, yeah, it's staying pretty, pretty straight and pretty uh, smart. So uh, good, you good one, beard. <laughs> so uh, well, it well must done. Know. It must know. Like it's got to match up. Yeah. So. But yeah, yeah, very pleased with it. Um, as I say, sort of a bit like if I didn't like it, I mean, I'd have to. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. I mean, I wouldn't want it short again because I like. I was quite liking it long, mm. like like in the summer of last year, that length. Yeah, yeah. Summer autumn time, that was good. It was getting a bit much. The start of this year, <laughs> but um, but thankfully that's not a problem. So you really are, mate. You are now business at the front, party at the back. 
yep, I can I can tell it back and be like, hello, I'm going to a business meeting, and then release, and then it's like, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to go and listen to some hair metal. <laughs> did uh, did hairdresser say when the last time that he did like a, a full on proper mullet was? I bet it was a well, while ago, mate. Um, Rob didn't, but um, in the same, um, this uh, Courage Noble where I go has got two different branches, and I know there's a mullet specialist because what? mullets are quite popular at the moment. What? Hold on a minute. A mullet specialist. Yeah, yeah, she specialises in mullets. Obviously, um, if you look at uh, Miley Cyrus, for example, she's got a, um, in, in, uh, in, in, you know, women have mullets, everyone, you know, of all genders has a. Uh, Oh, of a mullet. But yeah, like Miley Cyrus, for example, has popularised popularized a mullet. And wow. also there's the shag as well, <laughs> which is a sort of, I mean, if you like Google shag haircut, that's a sort of more out, you know, bigger mullet, sort of uh, not quite, you know, with the part, you know, it's part of the front as well, but it's sort of got, shares some of the same dimensions as a mullet. But no, mullets are in. Um, not why I did it, of course. <laughs> Because uh, no, uh, you've been saying for for ages, haven't you? You have been threatening about this for a long time now. Yeah, so uh, no, they are very popular at the moment. Um, um, uh, males, females, everyone in between um, seems to be going for them. Seems to be quite a popular post lockdown haircut. As I say, this was this is my mission for a while now. So uh, mission accomplished. Nice. And there is so, uh, there's a documentary. Um, I've got it on DVD. And I think it's called I think it's called American Mullet. Uh, I think it's called that. I'll, I'd, I'd have to check, but I have got a, a documentary on DVD about mullets. So, uh, well, you you've you caught me off guard there, mate. A mullet specialist. I'm, yeah, yeah, I am yeah. There's a, a place in Brighton. It's where I got the um, uh, not the idea. Well, I, I, honestly, like I just say, can I have a mullet? You know, you need to give them a bit more than that. That's yeah, what sort yeah. of mullet you want. There's some more modern mullets that they are stretching the definition of mullet, if I'm going to be honest. Um, <laughs> they don't really resemble one much, but um, I wanted a like a traditional traditional mullet. Um, and, um, yeah, there's a place in Brighton where the uh, hairdressers in Brighton, where the guy who runs it has a, an amazing mullet, and obviously they specialise in mullets as well. So I hope there's somebody listening to this with a mullet. And if, if you are listening to this and you've got a mullet, just take a picture and tweet it to us, email it to us. We'll, we will love it. It's ba- they're back. They're back. <laughs> uh, nice. Nice one, mate. Um, well, we're sat here. It's uh, the 21st of May. Less than a week ago, mate, the 15th of May was a, a very big date for me because it was... 40 years to the day since I went to my first gig. How about that? The 15th of May, 1981. I was at Deeside Leisure Centre and it was Billy Squire, a support. Um, it just got the Don't Say No album out and it was Whitesnake uh, on there. It was their Come and Get It tour. So, yeah, nice. 40 years ago last week to my first gig. How about that, mate? Not bad at all. Not bad, is it? So uh, yeah, I've got, and I listened to the album. So of course I listened to it again. Not as a, not as I've ever stopped listening to it over the last forty years, anyway. Really, or any any sort of you know pre nineteen eighty seven White Snake always gets lots of uh, airtime here. And uh, sticking with music, here's a documentary. I 
don't think you've seen it, mate. In fact, I'm pretty sure because I haven't seen it pop up on your letterbox. It's, um, it's only a short documentary. It's only 78 minutes. This year, 2021, Mean Man, the story of Chris Holmes, the Wasp guitarist, of course. Oh, no, no, I've not seen that. It's really good. I think it's on Amazon Prime, if I remember rightly. And again, it's only, like I said, 78 minutes. It's a short, low budget, intimate look at Chris Holmes then and now. It follows him around now as he's um, touring with his little band around Europe. Sing, and he's singing the songs now. And mm. I've always loved Chris Holmes. I mean, I've always loved Wasp. I've seen Wasp on every UK tour that they've done. Um, and especially right, right through the 80s and through the 90s as well. Always loved Wasp. And uh, when Chris Holmes was a guitarist, you know, he was one of those wild men of rock, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. And there's stories of Blackie Lawless that have been around for ages. And I know something about it. I mean, Wasp... Uh, me and Ike went to see Wasp at the TIFF here in North Wales a few years ago, and they packed out the place. And it was a cracking gig, to be fair, again. Uh, but I heard stories of what Blackie Lawless can be like backstage and so on. And it's, it's, it's no big secret, you know. And one of the things that Chris Holmes says in this documentary uh, really rang with me. And he was saying, you know, when back during the 80s and Wasp would turn up to a gig... And um, because Blackie Lawless's real name is um, oh Stephen Joran or Duran, it's D-U-R-E-N Joran, Stephen Joran. And he said, so the Wasp tour bus would would turn up at the at the venue. Stephen Joran would get out with a tour bus and walk into the venue. Then Blackie Lawless would walk on stage, and Blackie Lawless would come off stage. And then Stephen Joran would come out of the venue and get on the tour bus. You know, Blackie Lawless was this character that appeared on stage. Whereas yeah. it was Chris Holmes got off the tour bus and went into the venue. And Chris Holmes got up on stage and Chris Holmes got off stage. And Chris Holmes went out of the venue and onto the tour. You know, it, it was always, you know, he was Chris Holmes no matter what where he was or what he was doing, whereas, you know, Blackie Lawless just appeared on stage. Yeah, well, the interesting thing, you know, with Blackie Lawless, of course, was, uh, is, well, now he's, I mean, like, I've seen Wasp two or three times now with Andrew, uh, generally at the waterfront in Norwich, like our version of a TIFF, but not as good. Um, <laughs> and he's very, like, obviously, in, uh, using the word animated about Blackie Lawless, the character Blackie Lawless, mm -hmm in the 80s and God, in the 90s as well was an understatement but now it's just like he's he's playing the song and that's your lot yeah um very and I don't I wonder if that's a character it's like you know yeah you know because of course he he famously um he got back into religion big time too as well he's a born again Christian yeah, as well yeah and, and I'm not saying um, you know the religion thing's a character Alice Cooper's religious oh, yeah, but he definitely. still does all the yeah he still does all, all the stuff that. yeah yeah you'd expect Alice Cooper to because it's a character exactly yeah and you know like I mean that's no different than anyone in a film mm. you know um, they can be religious and play a, and play a character that's not so um, yeah it's interesting but yeah this uh as good as seeing Wasp in, you know, these recent years, the last 10 years or so, or whatever, has been, it's just like, man, I wish you'd just call us motherfuckers or something. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I'm sure Chris Holmes would. Yeah, he would do. I'm sure he would do. You could even, you could even ask him to do that and he'd do it to your face if you wanted that. That'd be okay. 
that'd be fine. Because during the documentary, there's like, obviously there's a shit ton of fans that meet him, get their autograph, have a picture with him. And I think probably like 100% of the photographs he has, everybody wants with like Chris Holmes just, you know, flipping the bird <laughs> to the camera <laughs> while having the picture taken with him, which is good. Uh, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love to meet Chris Holmes or you know do an interview show with him, and we could have a chat with him, and that'd be great. Get him across, get him, let's get him to the TIV here. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Go on then, mate. I'll flip it back across to you. I've got quite a few more things. No, no, I, that, I, mine was literally just going on about how great I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't. You know, it's just been. I've just had blinkers on. That's that's been. I'm watching something on TV and I'm just like watching it, making sure I can see my reflection in the screen. <laughs> just adjusting my laptop screen now. I can't. That's, oh, make sure you've got myself. a good angle, mate. You, I mean, to call up a photo or Facebook or something just so I can look at it. Yeah. You need multiple mirrors so you can get, you, you know, you can see that business side of you. You can get the party side going on. You can sort of flick between your, you know, the two personalities that are going on right now. Business time, party time. I should just do like some flips. <laughs> uh well since we last recorded um i mean we did talk when the grim reaper appeared in a past show uh with dave prowse uh there was an auction of a lot of his personal possessions went on and when i say a lot of his personal possessions that's a lot of his personal (laughs) possessions and if you go to um, well just type in dave prowse auction on the internet and it'll come up and uh, the one that I brought up, it was bideastbristol.co.uk, and it lists them all there, and there's some great stuff, and some stuff went for things that the, the normal people could afford, you know, you know, like 100 quid, 70 quid. You know, when you get a lot of these celeb auctions, and you're talking like thousands all the bloody time, and you think you, your regular person on the street couldn't afford that. This stuff for you, you could afford um you know i'm looking at things now there's like 50 quid and so on but there was of course there was stuff that went for a lot one of the ones that went for a lot more than it thought it would to because the uh the estimate was between one and two thousand pounds for this and it's a photograph and it's luke skywalker in front of a downed x-wing and it's a, a photograph that mark hamill signed to dave prowse in 2007 and on it, it says, for David, you'll always be Dad Vader to me, your loving son, Mark Hamill, 07, which I think is a great personal signature. Yeah. Isn't it? That's so nice. It went for £15,000, mate. That. Yeah. And the estimate was between one and two, which was like, whoa. The thing I'd have been most interested in, uh, because people of a certain age will remember that before he was Darth Vader, he was, mm-hmm. he was the Green Cross code man over here in the UK. And for anybody listening worldwide, if you don't know what the Green Co- Cross code man is or was, uh, do yourself a favour, nip onto YouTube and type it in. He uh, he was a character that helped kids here in the UK safely cross the road. And uh, yeah, he was a bit of an icon, a hero to loads of school kids during the 70s. And his Green Cross code outfit was up for auction and it went for and i thought this was pretty cheap for what it means to so many people of a certain age it went for 2600 fair yeah Yeah. i did think i thought it'd go for more than that um but there's there's loads you know there's loads and loads of stuff it's a nice uh, auction site to have a look uh, and just see what went for sale 
and and you go oh that was cheap oh that was expensive and all that but there's some really cracking stuff to have a look at so uh, yeah just type in dave prowse auction and it'll come up for you speaking of money if anybody has got 2.65 million dollars spare um hold on let me check got that? Have you... uh, just no no oh, not, not just quite that much a little bit short just a tiny bit yeah short. just look down behind the couch and <laughs> no a little little shy sorry oh, well you, you're gonna miss out then uh we've talked about cobra kai in this show daniel larusso's house in it which is it's a nice house it's a fucking awesome house mate every time we watched it me and tina went oh i'd love to live there it's so nice uh, isn't really in california it's in georgia oh yeah surprisingly enough and it's uh it's for sale so if you like i said if you've got two two and a half million dollars for sale yeah you, you can treat yourself to yeah. daniel larusso's house georgia home of and now and also because i think isn't there at least another two series going to be filmed as well yes uh they're finished filming the uh one of them already so have they oh, okay uh, so uh, i mean probably get that before the end of the year or maybe at the end of the year because that do. seems to be when they come out and Start next year so. yeah at the end of this year as well i think it's october or november uh the liverpool comic con has got so many people it's got virtually all of the kids from cobra kai going oh that's cool and also martin cove is going to be there as well yeah. uh, whether they're going to add anybody else i don't know but all of the main um younger characters are, are going so that's you know any cobra kai fans out there uh, in the uk liverpool comic con towards the end of the year uh, just look out for monopoly events they do loads of uh, of great comic cons so that'll be one to look forward to hopefully i think we're going to be covering it again this year so excellent you never know might be a full uh, interview show interview show with martin cove mate that'd be nice for us wouldn't it that would be very nice would be very nice. nice indeed uh also at the end of the year in august touring the uk doing a uh, a spoken word tour telling stories is Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. Now, the reason I'm giggling to myself is that regular listeners know my views on Iron Maiden. Never been a fan. <laughs> Infamously, me and Ike, uh, I think it was, it was 87 Donington. Uh, yeah, when you were sat in your car. That's it. We watched Kiss, uh, Iron Maiden, come on, went to the car, fell asleep. It's, you know, I've never had any time for Iron Maiden. Um, so, so Kiss were the true headliners. They were, for us, they were the headliners, mate. That's it. So, if you're in the UK or you want to come and visit the UK and see him, uh, 1st of August is in Brighton, 4th is in Manchester, Salford, the 5th is in Bradford, the 8th is in Nottingham, the 9th, Birmingham, and the 10th in London. And you know what, mate? As much as I have got no time or ever had any time for Iron Maiden, I'd love to go and see this. I bet he's got some awesome stories. Well, as, as you say that, I just lean over and I dig out my uh, copy of his autobiography, which Ooh. was obviously, as you remember, um, if I turn the pages, signed by the man himself. And let me tell you something about this book, Dave. I've still not read it. <laughs> I'm going to put it back in the bookcase. I should put it on my read pile, but no, I've just put it back as if I've already read it. <laughs> I'll read it one day. I haven't read Dario Argento's one he signed for, for me either yet. So maybe maybe I'm just saving them. Maybe. But, maybe but yes, so. my God, the stories he must tell, yeah. uh, he must have. I think I think he'd be really interesting to listen to. 
And uh, like I said, I've got no time for the music, but I would happily go and watch him at one of these. Mm. You know, it's the one in Manchester is the closest one to where we are in North Wales. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It'd be good. And I don't know if anybody can hear, but there seems to be a bit a massive dogfight has started outside the window. Oh no! So I don't know. I oh, I just had a bark. I'm sure. Yeah. So I think it's people walking the dogs and passing each other, and the, and the oh, dog, right. dogs they're, they're just like each other. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun to see dogs. Like I just love seeing it. Like you know, like when a dog sees another dog. <laughs> it's just it's just one of those things. It's second only to when you're at a train station, you get off a train, and a dog's there waiting to be reunited, and they get oh so excited. Oh my god, that's yeah. Dogs at train stations reuniting with um, owners just magic, <laughs> absolute magic. It is. It is. It's like with uh, with Bodie when I get him from work every day. He's you know he's you think he hadn't seen me for weeks. It's like well, <laughs> you saw me this morning, mate. He's still so happy. And there's Tina just like on the couch, like fuck's yeah, sake, he's yeah. back Th- throwing rocks at me. That's... That was a quick eight hours. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked. We talked about this. Right, I don't know what's happening, mate. With Rambo, there seems to be a surge in interest in Rambo-related stuff. We talked. I think it was the last, <laughs> the last episode, with or the one before that. He has appeared in Mortal Kombat Eleven. Yes, I saw just yesterday, and I stopped playing Call of Duty ages ago. Um, I just got fed up with them. It's nothing to do with my re- reactions are too slow nowadays. But there's two. They're bringing in John Rambo in, as a character in this uh, this. DLC for COD. I'm not sure exactly which one it is. And also John McClane from Die Hard as well. There's, with video games, there seems to be ooh, a bit of a surge in interest in 80s characters because there's like Predator characters have come in with Arnie and so on. There's been um, a Terminator. There's been quite a few. So, yeah, I'm still, ho- I'm still hoping, mate, for a decent Rambo game. A, a dedicated, decent Rambo game would be nice. Well, I mean, this could all be little, little, I don't know the word, not hints, little mm. sprinkles. I'm doing something with my hand. <laughs> sprinkles of, you know, like, oh, if this goes well, you know, you never know. Yeah, hopefully. You we... could do the voice. You could, you know, could get them to do some motion capture. Yeah, yeah, that's a decent Rambo game. That'd be nice. Well, mate, have you listened to to any uh, heavy metal, any rock music recently? Have I listened to any heavy metal? Well, no. Well, I've recently got a record player, and um, the last album I listened to uh, was Soul Provider by Michael Bolton. So, Ooh. no. <laughs> well, well, that's that's good in a way, according to the Star newspaper over here. Oh, good. Oh, sorted then. Because they say that. Uh, Listening to heavy metal makes you fat, is what they've said. Uh, <laughs> because under the... Eat the record afterwards. <laughs> yeah. That cardboard sleeve. <laughs> Slavered in butter. Uh, <laughs> under the head... The album was so good, I'm just going to have to eat it. <laughs> it, 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 it. Oh, yeah, the sound was so good. The taste was so good. Everything about it was so good. And uh, under the heading, metal makes us all heavy. Uh, nice. They've said that um, listening to loud rock music is linked to a craving for fatty foods, is what they've said, and therefore you will put on weight. 
Well, if people know me um, and know that I've listened to that's rock and metal since I, I can't remember when, and they know my build, they would know that's a load of shit. <laughs> yes. The only um, reason I put up weight in the last year slash six months is because of lockdown and because all my money was just being spent on Blu-rays and takeaways. And Because uh, I wear a T-shirt, you can't really tell, but that's the only reason. Um, and Dave, you, you, you've yeah. got a good-looking body. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... Um... Yeah, well, I've yeah the uh, my belt during lockdown, as I think I've made about I think five new notches. Not the belt going out, but the belt going in. I think I've lost like about two and a half stone over lockdown. Um, but then I've not been listening to well, actually no, I have been listening to a lot of loud music. So yeah, that just poo-poo's this whole thing. They say the science behind it, and of course the word science in you know inverted commas. Um, it suggests, and I quote from this now, uh, suggests that heavily distorted, noisy, fast tempo music gets listeners in the mood to feast on similarly hefty meals or bosher kebab. Bosher kebab. Bosher kebab. Yeah, listen to metal and bosher kebab. Uh, in comparison, it suggests that hearing soothing classical music or light jazz may cause the brain to encourage listeners to make sensible and moderate dietary choices. So, yeah, apparently heavy metal fans uh, were too stupid to uh, make our own mind up about food. Um, and we'll eat fatty foods because we've just listened to, I don't know, Judas Priest Painkiller or something. Right. Mm. Yeah, I don't see that. No, I don't see <laughs> that either. <laughs> Not at all. And... Uh, yeah, there endeth the 80s-related stuff I have for this episode, mate. Right. But there's a visitor. Yeah. There's a visitor still to come. We never we never like him call him, but he's, he's got a call again this week. Well, this, this month, I should say. I was going to say, I was like, where, where is it? Where is it? Is he ready? It's, it's here. You might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later you dance with the reaper. <laughs> Let's start with aged 73. And this is a big one for us, mate. We've talked about him loads, um, especially in the days of 80s Picture House. Jim Steinman. Yeah, my, I could probably, I mean, fucking hell. One of my favourite, well, probably my favourite songwriter hmm. of all time. Um, I think we covered Bad for Good. We did way, cover way back when. Yeah, a long time ago. That's a god again. I vividly remember that. In nineteen eighty one, that album came out. Got yeah, another that was something years. I actually recently got on vinyl as well. Yeah, um, but oh, what can you say about Jim Steinman, man? He's just the songs are just a volume of songs. Not just the Meatloaf stuff, the Bonnie Tyler stuff, the Air Supply one he did, like his own material, mm -hmm. the Streets of Fire soundtrack. Oh my god, that's um, the Streets of Fire soundtrack is probably my favourite ever movie soundtrack. I love that soundtrack it's so much. Superb, oh, absolutely, yeah. but like absolute legend, and yeah, one of you know like my favourite songwriter and one of the greatest. You know, does doing music for everyone from. Um, Celine Dion to Meatloaf, oh, yeah, and in between just Boyzone, yes, 
<laughs> you know, you... it's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Sisters of Mercy, I think, as well. And you knew when it was a Jim Steinman song as well, didn't you? There was there's something. no way of like just like you know when like, there's a Jim Steinman song, and I mean I'm assuming I've heard most of them now, and it starts playing, and it's just like well these are this like you just know because it's just the, the word play and just yeah. the um what's that the one original sin um and he got the word infinitesimal into <laughs> one of his songs, <laughs> and I was like when you can get the word infinitesimal into one of your songs, you know you're a songwriting genius and he absolutely yeah. was and yeah. i know he was in the sort of state of retirement but um i guess the last big thing he did was the bat out of hell musical which um mm-hmm. myself dr tom and yali went to see uh two or three years ago and quite enjoyed um you could tell he yeah. wrote that wrote the story because it was a uh, very diamond from start to finish yeah so yeah, we'll be really missed, Jim Steinman, really yeah. well. Thank- thankfully, he's, uh, he's left us a shit ton of music to listen to, so that's good. Absolutely loads. Yeah, and well, you know, I know both of us will constantly listen to it, I'm sure, and hopefully yeah, a lot of people yeah, out there always. Yeah, will listen to it. And if, if for some reason you haven't listened, you, I'm assuming that most people will be familiar with his with his work with Meatloaf, but have a listen to his, you know, have, listen to Bad for Good. Have a listen to that as well. Uh because again, it was great. I remember when we talked about that album. Yeah. Uh, sticking with music in a sort of way, um, aged only fifty nine, Nick Kamen, who who came to he, he found celebrity status over here in the UK through an advert <laughs> through a Levi five hundred one yeah. advert, the uh, the infamous laundrette advert where he saunters into a laundrette. It's in nineteen eighty five. And he he takes off his Levi jeans, and uh, and his t-shirt, and he's there in his boxer shorts. And this led to a surge in popularity for boxer shorts as well during that time. And led uh, to a surge in your boxer shorts as well, didn't it? Oh, I tell you what, mate, boxer shorts never been able to get on with them. Never been able to get on no. with them. Oh, okay, this is the uh, the uh, deaf and too much information section. Too too loose. The times too, I need a, really? I need I need a bit of support, mate. I need a bit of support. <laughs> Otherwise, well, you've always. I mean, maybe now, yes, in your well, yeah, now years. But what even before, when you were a younger well, man, back in, back in eighty-five, I didn't need to t- tuck my balls into my socks like I do now. But <laughs> back then, back then, there was still the odd chance that you could sort of, you know, oh, crush one accidentally if everything was a bit too loose down there. Um, oh, no, yeah, comfort. yeah. Comfort. I mean, I'm not saying you know I wasn't wearing speedos all the time for that proper support, but. <laughs> but he went on he went on and he he did he used that celebrity status from there and he um he had a fairly successful career with, within music as well i mean i know he 80s. was a uh, madonna protege wasn't he mm. like his, yes his big song was uh, written by madonna which i think it was like a an unused song of one of her 80s albums mm-hmm. and I, like the name didn't ring a bell I, like and then i was like oh the levi advert um guy yeah. i knew that but then i listened to the song i was like i don't know this song <laughs> So, um, yeah, but he was friends with Madonna. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I think you know he, he did well for himself. I think he took yeah, advantage of, of the sudden fame that was thrust upon him, and mm. you know, aged only fifty nine, that's that's nothing. So, no, yeah, not at all. Gone too, gone too soon. Uh, leaving us at aged eighty six, the actor Charles Grodin, whose body mm. of work is um, wow. There's loads of stuff, and if we're just going to concentrate on his 80s, I was looking at these 80s movies, and I thought, oh, if I had to pick one, 
it's probably it'd have to be midnight run from yeah years. i know it's the obvious one to go yeah. for out of his 80s stuff, it is but obvious. fucking hell what a film it is what a, a film it's a crack and the way him and de niro play off each other oh. like if only de niro had a chance to um when he d- did all these lame comedies in the 90s and probably still does a little bit if only he had someone to bounce off like charles Grodin in yeah. all of them you know yeah, that would have been good. But... The way, just magic, absolutely magic. Um, I think the first film I saw him in, and this is pretty obvious considering my age, was probably Beethoven. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Beethoven's Beethoven's dad. I know he's not his dad, but you know the, the dad and Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, very very funny man. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, one of those. And again, if there's anybody listening, you think Charles Grodin. If if you think, oh, who is that? Look at look at a picture of him. You'll see his face and go, oh my god, yeah, you'd have seen him in so many films, guaranteed. Uh, and finally, uh, aged, and I have to go have a quick look now. Fifty nine again, the same age as Nick Kamen. Uh Tawny Kitane, Julie Ellen, <laughs> Tawny Kitane. Uh, first came to notice for me due to well, she was with White Snake, nineteen eighty seven, in the uh, the videos. Here I go again, still of the night. Uh, she was also in Back for More, Rat's music video from eighty four. She was on a couple of covers, Rat album covers as well. Um, yeah, fifty nine. Apparently, from what I've read, um, bit of a troubled person as she got older, drugs, etc. Um, police is involved with with different misdemeanors, etc. DUIs, um, a lot of alcohol and drug problems. Sadly, which although at the time of recording this, the uh, the cause of the death has not been released as far as I've seen. Anyway, like I said, I don't go looking for this. It's just if it comes across my news feed, um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was anything to do with that. So it's a bit sad, but especially during the eighties, she was, you know, she married David Coverdale. She was with him for. Her, uh, a couple of years and um yeah she was with i think she was with robin crosby from rat as well um before then she also uh she had a, a year-long affair with oj simpson too and um yeah yeah, yeah. i think that could have been the could have been the start of quite things quite a life quite a life <laughs> yeah definitely had quite a life uh, and again at 59 it's uh, it's it's no age to go so no thankfully the reaper just took four for this month so um yes he he was he has been busier but we'd like him to be uh, out of work completely for for a month or two if possible <laughs> uh and that that's it mate we can okay we okay can, we can you've, go uh, you've had your, your favorite bit yeah, I've had my favourite bit. You've made out like you don't want to do it for a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and that's uh, I'm finishing now. I've got, like you said, I've got my favourite bit out of the way. Talk yeah, to- that you had uh, your little uh, disclaimer yeah. that you don't go hunting for it. Yeah, I have to do that just in case. Any new listeners going, sick fuck, he's, he's looking. He's looking at who's died. <laughs> uh, and with that, Oh, oh my word, Tom. Are you ready? Have you, have you got yourself comfortable, mate? Because we are going to move on to your first time watch pick. So are you, oh, I just God. want to make sure that you're nice and comfortable, ready to tell everybody about the film that you picked, the film that we both paid money for. <laughs> we really did, folks. We really did pay money for this. And, uh, yeah, we'll be... Uh, We'll be back in a second where Tom will regale you with tales of his first time watch pick.
welcome to my chambers of terror, whoever you are. But of course, I know what you are. You are a thief. A burglar who has trespassed on my property to steal my famous treasure. So go ahead. Get it. You can now try to open the next door to continue on, or you may stay where you are and die peacefully. Screw you! Screw you! You heard that? I don't like it. I don't like it at all! Okay, my first time pick was, I mean, I guess you can call it a film. Yeah, loosely, yeah. Um, it was a film called Beyond the Seventh Door, which came out in 1987, directed by a man called Bozidar D. Benedict. Not um, not the Bozidar yeah, D. Bozza, Benedict. Yeah. Everybody listening to this is saying to themselves right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bozadar, the big Bosman, <laughs> whatever you want to call him. Um, also written by Bozadar D. Benedict. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also been produced by Bozadar D. Benedict. And I think you might be thinking, oh, he's this Bozadar bloke's bound to star. And it actually, no, it's, it's got all the inklings of one of those weird vanity projects. But yeah. no, the star of this film is <laughs> it's called Lazar Rockwood. Who was a Serbian actor um, who was born Lazar Rajik uh, and changed his name to Rockwood. Okay. Um, he, he, he still does films um, every now and again. Um, but his first film was, shockingly, considering his performance, Beyond the Seventh Door. <laughs> And so this pe- film, people hired him after this. Yeah, so he plays Boris, who's just got out of jail, and he meets up with his ex Wendy, and they, uh, he wants to do one last job. She's not keen, and they do it anyway. And they go to this house where she works um, to rob a millionaire, her millionaire boss, mm-hmm. um, who's in a wheelchair, um, and it just, it just, it's basically just a series of escape rooms. Yes. That's now, the, yeah. what's so special about this? Uh, this guy, Lazar Rockwood, never been in a film before this. Um, he looks like a combination of... I mean, Tommy Wiseau is the obvious first... Yeah, that's, that's where you go to. Because yeah. foreign accent. Um, he's got the hair of a Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. He's got that sort of. He's he looks funny. <laughs> I mean, there's any polite way to put that. Um, and it's in one of the sort of films. Yeah. Uh, there's got a bit of Billy Drago about him. Mm-hmm. A friend said, "Throw a little, throw a little Richard Ramirez in there." Uh, what did he? You you had one, Dave, as well. Yeah, I said he was like the love child of Lou Diamond Phillips and Jasper Carrot. Jasper, I can't see Jasper Carrot in him, but yeah. like he's so. From the right angle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a, but yeah, he is. He cannot act. I think that's, I think that's the best way. To, he, um, like, I think they shot this film in order 
like in scene order, which generally doesn't happen. But I guess if you're doing like an escape room and they're going from one to another, yeah, kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to use the word improve, but his acting does kind of improve in as much as at the start of a film he's stumbling over his lines a lot, and they've just kept it in. <laughs> good for picture, good for sound. Moving on. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but although when he's in the picture, I don't know if good's uh, <laughs> right term. <laughs> and yeah, we just go off from there. We go into this, and um, we we wait with bated breath to find out what is beyond the seventh door. Dave, had you ever heard of this film? I had never heard of it or heard of uh, Bosidar di Benedict or Lazar Rockwood. I'd never <laughs> even seen the truly bizarre that you described in the last episode, the, the cover, the poster for this. Uh, yeah, but again, poster. If, if you didn't listen to last month's episode, oh, and the, there we go, the fish and chip fan. Hopefully everybody heard that. Um, so the poster is um, basically just three random scenes from the film. Yeah. Um, um, one of them is them going into one of the rooms. Um, the other is the female lead, Wendy, just sitting there. And then uh, the smallest photo of is, is her in the uh, probably the more infamous scenes in the film, I guess, uh, the flooding room scene, mm-hmm. where she's uh, in her pants and the room's filling up with water. Yeah. Um, and for some reason we're supposed to... Imagine this is some kind of peril. Like, oh, we, we, to begin with, we had to imagine this. This was a film. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, we've already. Um, that took a while. Made that. <laughs> and Anything like, is possible. Um, yeah. I can't remember every single room because of just like looking at Lazar Rockwood. It's like looking at a lava lamp. <laughs> it's just like, what is going on with this guy? Like, it's distracting. Like. He did, especially during the first half of the film, he did have a real big habit of sniffing very loudly as though he'd he'd walked on set after doing a line of cocaine or something and he was just making sure he hadn't got any, you know, a little bit left around the nostrils <laughs> or something. He was doing a lot of that. He he did a lot of tongue work. He was constantly licking oh, his lips. Oh, I went back, yeah. Lick, and on one particular bit, and I'm glad you went back because there was one yeah. bit, because we were swapping WhatsApp messages. Me and Tina watched it and swapping messages with Tom. And one bit, one particular bit of, of tongue work that Lazar Rockwood did. Tongue work. Made Tina... Um, Almost, I think she. I think she did a little bit, a little bit of sick in her mouth at the time when she was <laughs> when she was watching it. He did something horrible with it, and uh, we told you about it. And you did say that today you were going to go back and watch that. Yeah, particular I didn't bit. want to watch it uh, before I went to bed. Just... <laughs> yeah, like oh, lizard. Definite lizard. Definite lizard. Oh dear. Yeah. That, that's... Um, what? Oh, I just don't know with these films what. What on earth? Like, obviously, it's very low budget because it's just set in a, it's just a, a warehouse yeah. somewhere, yeah. I guess. Just just bare concrete rooms where where they're going in to rob this million quid from, you know, her boss. And it's just a series of, of concrete rooms with a, a puzzle in them that they've got to solve to get to the next room until they get to the seventh yeah. door. And that's what Yeah, they're basically be. like escape rooms, but yeah. very bare bones, cheap yeah. 
escape rooms. Mm. A bit like Cube in a way, isn't it? You know, they're going through yeah. these, these different... Um, so the, the water scene, I guess we should talk about that, because I'd say out of all the, all the rooms, all the doors, this was the best, I'd say, most yeah. memorable... Yeah, it definitely the definitely the most memorable. I'll give it that. This water scene, uh, but even before they get there, every single room. In fact, not even just the rooms. Every single scene within this film. And let's get it right. It's only like about eighty minutes long, isn't it? It's not a long film at all. Seventy-three. <laughs> seven, seven. There you go. Seventy-three minutes long. It could easily have been under an hour, if they'd have been a little bit tighter with the editing because every scene is it's everything is so drawn out to the maximum where they first go in into this big building and they enter the first room (laughs) bit there's this door that slowly slides down from ceiling to floor and um wendy dives under it and it's left to boris to dive under which he, he does a shit job of to be honest and it is going down slowly but he makes it look you know a lot more difficult than it should be and then they're both there and they're both leaning against this concrete wall and this scene must go on for a couple of minutes and neither neither of them say anything they're both sort of looking oh oh that was a bit difficult yeah without but without saying anything and then sighing and putting the head down and then one flops down and you're thinking okay come on then somebody say something or move on to the next scene <laughs> but every single scene is like that it's really protracted and uh, you know if you've got to stretch everything out to make it a 73 minute movie you haven't got a lot of meat on the bone to begin with really no the um uh, my favorite example of that the other start was you know like the picking of a lock oh god yeah and it's just like oh, it was just it was just taking ages and then, like, you just shoved the door open. It's like, you didn't... I mean, I know it's not the point, but it's like, you did not pick that lock. No. <laughs> and also, you took out... But yeah, it's one of those where everything is just like... It's, a, it's like a two-hand of this film. It's just Boris and Wendy. Yeah. Uh, you, you, as you, I think you said last night, your great hero's name, Boris. Of all the names to call your hero, Boris. Apologies to all Boris. Boris. Apologies to any Boris's listening, but... When you're living in the UK, you don't really associate the name Boris with any sort of hero, really. No, no, you, no. um, exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, so the, I mean, there's one where there's, there's letters, uh, the, the floor in front of them is a series of squares and there's letters on the squares and some of the squares have skull and crossbones on. And then, of course, the question comes up, oh, what happens if you... St- and on one of the ones with skull and crossbones. Well, you die, obviously. Yeah, so they, and it's spelled out of a word, Juno, which might have inspired the film, uh, Juno. Yes, I'm sure whoever the filmmakers, all of them involved, watched Beyond the Seventh Door first. <laughs> I thought of that. Uh, I mean, the Tommy Wiseau connection can't be denied, can it? Like, Oh, no, it can't. No, it can't it be. is like a... like. Well, we know where um, Lazar Rockwood comes from like serbia mm-hmm. obviously tommy was um origins are still even with the disaster artist book still a bit hazy mm. which is in a way quite cool being that mysterious yeah, yeah but you know you've got these people from somewhere in europe clearly um whether it be eastern or otherwise and with the hair mm-hmm. and the, again trying not to be rude or judgmental the face <laughs> 
And it's just like, it's, isn't it strange that, like, obviously we, we knew of Tommy Wiseau first, just for room and all of that. Yeah. But here's this guy, you know, like, the room was 2003. This was 1987. Here's this very similar mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. I just think it's really strange yeah. that there's yeah. a lot of similarities there. Oh, yeah, with the with the acting, everything. You, you can draw a lot of parallels with them both, you know, right across mm. a lot of things. Uh, but, yeah, when when you said the uh, the standout action scene, the standout escape room begins with Wendy just falling, the, the floor opens up and she slides down like a water chute kind of affair, if you, people yeah. can imagine that, and plops down into this basement room that's got yeah. like a big drain in the middle of it. So, obviously, you know, at some point it's been filled with water. And... Uh, in there, there's there's a dead guy, isn't there, mate? Yeah, just a dead guy. Dead, a dead guy who who breathes breathes heavily, constantly every time he's on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Classic <laughs> dead person. Classic dead person. Under there was no way you'd think you know, Bozidar <laughs> would say, "All right, mate, you're dead. You're in the corner. Just hold your breath for a, you know ten seconds while the film." Yep, no, <laughs> no. do that. You'd think this guy had just finished a marathon. And he's lying there, he's sort of. Uh, uh, you're, just, you're breathing a bit heavy for a dead person. Mate. <laughs> so uh, she sees she sees him in there, and then uh, Boris is at the top, sh- shouting down, isn't he? Very concerned for Wendy, is uh, the love of his life, and then the room starts filling with water, and she panics, doesn't she? And <laughs> Boris. Well, yeah, and. I think you pointed this out as well. Obviously, the room's filling with water and there's a hole. At the top. Like, the water will rise. Like, she's going to be okay. The water's just going to rise up and bring her out of the hole. It would take her up the chute that she's fallen down. She would just float back up to where she's come from. And she's panicking about drowning. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't think that through properly, did they, really? And obviously that leads us into, you know, her getting out of water, leads us into a sex scene. Well, well, thankfully, don't see a sex well, I mean, it's not a sex scene, thank God. But Even before we get to that with the water, it's because the water's coming in through all these different pipes and then Boris shouts down to, you know, plug the holes up and the only thing she can use is a flimsy dress that she's using, which she starts ripping see, up. See, they, they put this through. So she's ripping her dress to pieces, trying to fill. And it's like, you know, the boy putting his thumb in the dike. It's it's never going to work. And it's just an excuse so that she ends up in stockings and suspenders and soaking wet. Um, yeah. So this is this some great... Inter- this is Like I said, this is the big action scene of the film. So everybody picture <laughs> this. Wendy, oh my God, she's trapped in the basement. There's a dead breathing guy that's in the room with her. There's water pouring in. She's ripping off her dress into pieces and trying desperately to fill the holes with bits of flimsy dress, which obviously is never going to fucking happen. So all while this is happening, it keeps intercutting with Boris, who's upstairs. And from the room that they've just escaped from and the door is partially shut... Um, he's left in there because he's got he's got this toolkit with him, this tool belt on him all the time. He's left in the room, an extension lead. So he thinks his plan is to throw the extension lead. Hopefully, he wasn't going to plug it in first and then throw it down to her in the water. Although that wouldn't have surprised me. He's going to throw the extension lead down so she can get hold of it and he can pull her to safety before she drowns or before she would obviously float up to safety. So he's there. Wendy, panicking, water rising, cut to 
Boris looking at his extension lead, thinking, how can I get that? Back to Wendy, ripping a dress off. Back to Boris, reaching for his tool belt and getting out a metal extendable tape measure, which he pulls out. And again, going back to the what I was saying before, every scene so dragged out. You'd think, oh, oh, Wendy's going to drown. Right. Oh, yeah, let's pull this um, tape measure out really quick. He pulls it. It's like inch by inch, as though he's counting the fucking numbers as he's pulling this extended, this, uh, tape measure out. And he's pulling it out, and then he reaches across, and he's, try, he's trying to hook the end of the uh, tape measure onto the extension lead. Cut back to Wendy. Water's filling up. Keep, and it keeps and he, bloody bozidar. He keeps cutting to the dead person again, just so you can see them breathe again. Then it goes back to Boris. He can't hook the extension lead, so he reels in the tape measure again, very slowly. He gets the end of it. He just gives it a little tweak, just twists it a little bit. So then it's back to reeling out the tape measure very slowly again. All of this is happening. While generic um, 80s rock rock instrumental number 3,567 is playing in the background. And you'd think, oh yeah, driving rock, mu- rock music. As he's slowly pulling out this tape measure. And eventually hucks the bloody uh, extension lead. Throws it down to her. And uh, after all of that, he can't lift her up anyway. And he just... He drops, he drops down there into her. So it was all a waste of time. It was all pointless. Um, I mean, by saying that, that tape measure put the best performance of a movie. Oh, in, so. it was, it was, oh, one of those tense scenes, mate. It's, I, oh, I yeah, and fair play. Pathetic, in, in, in all my years of movie watching, I have never seen this tense sort of action scene play out involving a retractable uh, tape measure. So there's a first. So that was all right. And then, like you said, you know, he jumps in. Oh, she's just avoided death. Uh, it does. I'm pretty sure it cuts to dead breathing guy again, and then winking they, at the camera. We, yes. <laughs> then they did. Then they decide to have a you know sex scene, don't they? Well, he decides. Well, he drops down on his knees, and he because warming he's warming her legs up. You know, yeah. Like, she's been in cold water. You need to dry your legs, and that old trick. So he just starts rubbing him. Yeah, the old. Uh, the old drop to your knees, start rubbing a woman's legs and say you're warming her up trick. And then... Yeah, then starts... And then nuzzles himself into a crotch, which is a bit... Oh, okay. And then he tries to kiss her and she... Don't tell me, mate, that this is... Suddenly she becomes an amazing actress when she's saying, no, don't kiss me. That I think that was real, mate. I didn't think she wanted... Yeah, get this <laughs> melting wax work off me. <laughs> I don't think that was in the script. He just he just went for it. He started, you know, slathering all over her face, and and she was going, "No, we can't do this." And then, yeah, thankfully they cut away before anything. Yeah, but she does. Worth saying, she she is like, "Oh, you're so crazy," or something along those lines before it cuts away. So you know, it's not like yeah, it's consensual. It is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But Go gross. On. Yeah, very. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, had, I mean... They've had sex now, haven't they? So they, they finally yeah, go for so the money. Is there, any, is there any more rooms of note before they get to the, that's the, the final? That's the, that's the main room for me, mate. That's always going to be the main room for me, that 
and that and I'd love if I ever met Lazar Rockwood I'd want him to autograph a tape measure for me that's what I'd want well, that... <laughs> I w- honestly I, I would love that I would love a signed metal retractable tape measure from him <laughs> I, I should mention that um, Wendy mentions Boris is 36. Yes. 36. Do you know how like, old he was when, when he made this? 38 or 39. He, like, yeah. he, but he looks about 80. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think, imagine, yeah. He, is not, he, he does not look a man like a man in his mid to late 30s. No, he does I not. I am a man in his mid to late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not blowing my own horn. But, my God, if I look like that, I'd yeah. put my head in an oven. <laughs> Maybe he did. Maybe that's why he's got that waxwork look. We don't... <laughs> yeah, he could be onto does. something. Um, so, the final room is... Because there's, like, a voice, a recording or a voice telling him, well done, you've reached this next room, but now blah, blah, blah. You know, like, all the way through. Like, these sort of escapey room films are, like, Saw, and, you know, there's mm. always a voice, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like basically he's got a million dollars in a suitcase, or he can like you know go beyond the seventh door and leave. And she she's like, no, let's just fucking leave. Honestly, <laughs> let's go, let's get out of here. And um, he's going to go, and then he was just like, oh, just gonna. She was gonna. Oh yeah, she's gonna get changed. So they decided to leave and not take the money do the right thing. Mm-hmm. There seems to be some sort of mechanism, which he sees. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he sees it. Under the suitcase. Um, and um, waited with a suitcase of the money, a briefcase of the money. And anyway, they decide not to. She finally talks him around to it. And he's like, oh, you go off and get changed because obviously she's running around in a, you know, wet, whatever's left of her dress and her pants still. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. And he's like, and while he does that, he starts, oh, what? Like, why? I don't know what he was doing with his jacket, but like, he has to like take his jacket off, and you know, he has to be topless for this key scene. Yeah. Um, and like, so he's transferring the money like really poorly into like his jacket to sort of, you know like bundle up and carry off. But I think he the idea is to leave the final, not take the full million, leave the final bundle of notes there, mm. leaving um, a weight. Yeah, in a briefcase, so nothing happens. That's weird, though, isn't it? With if you think you've got a million dollars, so and you've you've set up this trap that it will all explode if anybody tries to steal it, but they can steal, you know, like nine hundred ninety thousand dollars. But if yeah, you take yeah, that, I'd last, be happy with nine hundred ninety. I so would I. I wouldn't think. Oh, I need that. Last I'd still call grand. myself a millionaire. So would I too. You'd be you'd be fine with that, and you could quite rightly call yourself that. But then. And like you said, he knows the trap's there, and he still takes the last bundle of money. Yeah, what the fuck was this ending? So, like, um, he's there, bundle, like, really weirdly bundling these notes, and then she's upstairs in bed, and then mm. in comes the faceless boss and says, oh, you don't need to shag them all. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, and talking about, over oh, next time, you know, so obviously she's bringing people yeah. to this house to do this weird test. Um, and there's going to be more. Of which um, the next one is the next day because she phones up and I think it's Peter that she says, oh, hi, Peter, it's Wendy. Yeah, yeah. so and that's, then, they've got the right, I don't know why, yeah. they're just doing this. Um, but, yeah, like you say, 
he's left, let's say they're in 10 grand bundles for the sake of argument. There's probably more. Yeah. But let's say he's left the last bundle so it doesn't trip anything off. They don't know for sure it's a bomb, I guess. Mm. But then, yeah, he just fucking picks it up at the end and <laughs> blows <laughs> Off camera. Off camera, yeah. Oh. So, what? Was it, what? So th- like he knew there was something there that was connected to this briefcase. Yeah. And he got all that money, all that money, and he would have got away with it, but well, you had to take thing. that last bundle. If, right? if he hadn't have taken that last bundle, so we'd have got, you know, let's say $990,000, and he'd have got into, into the lift and gone upstairs, and he'd have walked away, and he'd been alive and free. So would Wendy and her boss gone, oh, all right, so he won, so he's won, you know, almost a million dollars. We'll move on to Peter tomorrow. We'll see what happens with him. Well, I mean, if they had another million dollars. And what would be left of... Well, fuck, we've only got 10 grand left. (laughs) What about the elaborate escape rooms that they built? They've just blown the shit out of it when they blew blew Boris up. So, <laughs> are they going to get the builders in? <laughs> every every 24 hours, there's the builder down the road. Ah, oh, they've blown somebody up again. Come on, lads, overtime. We've got to get it all done in 24 hours before, you know, the next shag that Wendy's going to go through is going to be there and they blow him up again. Ugh. So, yeah, you've got the builders who are just like, oh, we've been called to uh, make another series of elaborate escape rooms to down the road again. It's the second time this week. <laughs> It's like, always like builders making any excuses, but fucking hell. We've got another dead body to clean up. <laughs> oh, oh, there wasn't there wasn't even, you know, well, there wouldn't be 10 grand even or anything, would there? Because that's why it's blown up, because they've taken all the money. You know, there might, there might be remnants of some, you know, dollar bills left floating around if they're lucky. <laughs> in amongst the entrails of, of Boris and the, whoever went before him. It's not. It's not a long-term thing that like this guy can do. You can't keep blowing it's up a million dollars. It's not forward planning, especially when Wendy's, you know, arranging to meet up with Peter twenty-four hours later. It's. Oh, it's yeah. got to be like funny money, like William Defoe, William to live and die in L.A., printing it for them. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but like ultimately, I just. I know this isn't a film where I should expect like nuanced characters and like. No, definitely what, not what they're thinking but basically he was just like i can leave with nine let's say again for the sake of argument with nine hundred ninety thousand dollars and completely leave scot-free or i can just take this other 10 and die (laughs) yeah no i think i'll die yeah because he must know like have some inkling of what that like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't like yeah. explicitly look like an explosive device, but it's something in yeah. this. And he's cons- just spent all this time in this where it's all traps. Well, exactly, and, you know, every single room he's been in before. Then the consequences were: if you don't, if you don't do this correct, you're going to die. So why would yeah. this last room be any different? So, um, but yeah, he's basically was just like, well, I could leave with nine hundred ninety thousand. I could just die. I know, you know what? I'm just going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I'm dying a rich man. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah. yeah so yeah so that so that was what was beyond the seventh door freedom yeah freedom which he didn't choose he chose death over freedom um on a final note on the letterboxd poster which obviously i'm sure you saw dave the poster for film that is on letterboxd um it looks more like a horror film and on imdb and i think on letterboxd as well this is called like classified as a horror Mm -hmm. i mean it's horrible. 
But it's not a horror film at all. Like, not no. even a bit. No, it's not a horror film. Just because there's a, a live dead man there, it's uh... a... <laughs> that doesn't make it a horror film. <laughs> no. Uh, what would you classify it as, though? What would you... if you Thriller? Had to... yeah, yeah. With, yeah, a thriller with no thrills. It could be an action movie with no action. Apart from, obviously, you know, the tape measure scene. Yeah, tape, like, man, if you like tape measures, this film oh, is for you. What? It's made for you. That's the... Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, was it, uh, and is it for anybody that hasn't seen it yet, is it worth watching? Was it for us worth watching? It's definitely worth watching once. I don't know if I'd put it in the league of Samurai Cop, Shotgun, mm-hmm. The Room, you know, yeah. you know our favourite, Miami Connection, our... Uh, top tier so bad it's good films yeah it's definitely so bad it's good in places but like you say there is these laggy scenes of like i'm going to pick a lock for five minutes and i'm going to do this elaborate tape measure thing for no reason for five you know longer so i think that detracts me a bit but there is a lot to laugh at in it there it's it's perfect uh for it's the classic beers and mates film you know, yeah. it's it's that if you've if you're into the, and obviously you have to be into these type of films, like you say, and it is like again, total agreement with you, mate. It's no Samurai Cop or Hard Ticket to Hawaii or Shotgun or anything like that. Definitely not. It's not in that league. But if you do like those type of films and you haven't seen this yet, you need to watch it. But you know, get at least five pints down your first, and you know, have a few like-minded friends around, some snacks, and you definitely get more out of it. It is one of those that. I would, I'd watch it with, you You know, you come round, we have some drinks and all of that, and we would take the piss out of it again. It's one of those that you can, you can have fun with it, but in the right company and with the right amount of alcohol, I think, to get the most out of this one. But I am, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I watched it. I'm definitely glad I watched it, mate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, it just, it looked apart and mostly it was apart. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it had its moments. It certainly gave us uh, enough to talk about, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on then to my rewatch pick. Vietnam, 1984. Chuck Norris frees the Americans, missing in action. Now, the secret of his rage can be revealed. Missing in action 2, the beginning. A war he couldn't forget. You're going down! Get ready to jump! The story behind his return. Vietnam, 1972. Captured in a savage jungle war. You men are not prisoners of war. You are common criminals. Imprisoned and tortured. He's not dead! God, help! Chuck Norris is a prisoner they couldn't break. And a soldier they couldn't hold. Look, our country has forgotten about us, and we have to do anything we can to survive. There's one chance for escape. That's our way out. He's breaking out and fighting back. An American hero. His story continues. This is for me. Chuck Norris, Missing in Action 2, The Beginning.
Right, hopefully you listened to the previous episode that me and Tom did, and you'll know that we're carrying on the story, or actually we're going back to the beginning of the story of Colonel James Braddock, because uh, I picked Missing in Action 2, the beginning, 1985. And like I said in the last show, uh, it was filmed back-to-back with Missing in Action 1, and this was the one that was going to be released first. Uh, but there's, there's various versions of this. One is because of the success of uh, Rambo, First Blood Part 2. Mm. They released um, the first one first, if you get what I mean. This is where you get sort of mixed up with prequels and sequels. Uh, and then they released Missing Action 2 second, because uh, it was going to go chronologically through the story of, mm. of Braddock's story. So we find him... He's, uh, it begins in 1972. He's in Nam, and he's, uh, he he ends up as a POW. Him and um, a lot of his his army buddies. Well, not a lot, a handful of his army buddies, and they're uh, prisoners of war. Cut to ten years later, 1982, and they're still there, and they're trying to escape, obviously. And the thing is, because because you've seen the first missing in action, which is set after this, you know he's going to escape. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I mean, I guess it's Chuck Norris. So you probably know he's going to escape anyway. But it does, you know, if there was going to be any tension about whether he was going to make it or not, um, that's gone because you know he, you know he survives. Yeah, yeah. This isn't as good as Missing in Action One. Let's get that out there straight away. Um, no, it's not. It's it's nowhere near as good. And in fact, it uh, it didn't pass the clock test. I looked at the clock a few times. It was like, oh, how long's to go? It, what about the uh, don't pause it test? The did that come up? Oh, the don't pause it test. No, there was no, there was no pauses going on. No pauses going on in this. I one. mean, sometimes you don't need to get up in the middle of a film. Well, yeah, and I didn't need to get. Actually, I didn't need to get up anyway. But uh, yeah, no pauses. But there was clock watching going on. Um, there was none. And again, if you heard us talk about missing in action one. I was absolutely disgusted. There was uh, no shirt taking off. I mean, number no, one, no. number one was full of it. He briefly gets topless when he falls in some water, uh, but then before you know it, he's got a shirt back on again. So, oh, Chuck, Chuck is you know, if you're into Chuck's hairy chest, you're going to miss out on this one. That's for sure. You're going to miss out on as well a lot of stuff. You're going to miss out on. Uh, a lot of, you know, Chuck Norris hand-to-hand fighting. Admittedly, in number one, there wasn't a lot going on in that. There's even less in this. And apart from towards the end, there's not even a lot of, you know, action, gunfights or anything, explosions. It's it's very talky, very slow, and it's mostly about him negotiating with the Vietnamese camp um, commander, about yeah. how Chuck Norris will not sign, uh, you know, the, him saying that he's, you know, like a war criminal. And then they've said, if you sign this, we'll set you and, and the rest of your troop free. And of course they won't. They're lying to him. And Chuck knows that. That's why he won't sign it. And there's, there's lots of talky-talky scenes in between very occasional and not very well-put-together action scenes. Um, I think the highlight, yeah. and again, Tina hadn't seen this one. She hadn't seen Missing in Action 1. She hadn't seen this. The highlight for, for her was when uh, Braddock gets hung upside down by his ankles. Somebody puts, uh, gets a bag, a sack cloth, puts a live rat in it and puts it over Braddock's head. 
and then he's he's swinging and then blood appears in the sack and you think the rat's eating his face and of course it hasn't you know what's going to happen tina <laughs> called it she'd never seen it before and she called it and she said oh they're going to pull the bag off and the rat's going to be in his mouth isn't it and of course that's what happens the rat is in, the rat is in his mouth this i'd forgotten virtually all of it apart from the rat scene how can you forget that when you've watched this film uh, but i'd forgotten everything else and now i know why i'd forgotten everything else it's because nothing much happens mate is there what i mean what's your take on it yeah i'd agree i think the problem is and i put this on letterbox is it just doesn't work as well when chuck's it works better when he's coming to save the day yes like it, it suffered from a lack of locations i think like it was just them there and he was already there you know like in the first missing in action um or you know the last time we saw Braddock. Yeah. He was, you know, he came back, you know, but he's just there. And then like in 1982, he's still there mm. and they, they go to a different hut and they're just there all the time. And I think that's what for me really sort of dragged down. He's just like, they're just there the whole time. And it doesn't, he's no, he just sort of gradually saves the day instead of just swinging in and killing everyone. Yeah. There's no swinging in. He's just there already. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, it is very slow at times. Like when it, you know, like the rat thing, and when it's Chuck kicking ass, thumbs up, great. But a lot of it's pretty, you know, like you're saying negotiations and all that sort of stuff. Um, Yeah, it didn't. It just doesn't grab you. It just grab me as much, and I think that was why. In these Prisoner of War films as well, and even on the IMDb synopsis, it says, uh, in a brutal prison camp. And in a lot of these Prisoner of War films, there's a lot of brutality and there's a lot of the prisoners being tortured and then, you know, it makes you empathise even more with them. And it's, come on, you need to get your own back on these after doing all that to you. There wasn't a lot of brutality going on. There was, oh, I'll put a rat in a sack and put it on his head. And then there was, oh, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot you click aha there's no bullets in that and they do that and of course they do a payoff with one person and there is a bullet yeah, in it, and, yeah, they sh- British... and they shoot them in oh the um, head. bargain bin john hurt yeah yeah and but apart from that there's not a lot of there was one so one of the prisoners of war gets really close to to a chicken is you know he's reared this chicken and it's you know it's his friend this chicken so the the camp commander snacks snaps the chicken's neck and throws it down to him and goes ah there you go and that you know that's about as much as it goes for brutalizing the prisoners and it's it again it's just too talky and yeah good point you made about it just being the one location does sort of go, oh okay we're still here they're still talking about trying to escape and yeah because like in the first one you've got i mean you don't see the prisoners of war really um because mm. they're just a bunch of guys yeah um but like it's just Chuck moving from place to place towards them. So he's there, he's somewhere else. He's, he's on a river. He's he's at the, the camp that was empty that they used to be at, and they, you know just he's moving from place to place to place to place. Yeah. And then back, you know, right at the end, that really abrupt ending. But he's just there the whole time. I keep saying it. He's just in the same place the whole time, and I know it jumps, you know, forward in time so he can have his beard, but. <laughs> It just doesn't. I just. It's just like well, he's he's already there, and he just seems to be doing it bit by bit. And you you just want him to swing in. You just want R- Rambo to swing in. You mm. know, you go and get him, bring him home. Yeah. Not come on, come home when you're ready. <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> 
yeah, let's let's do a bit more, a bit more negotiating, and then you know. Yeah, you're and as you thing. say, like there's no stakes really in it because you know you exactly. don't care about the other characters, and you know Chuck's gonna live. Yeah. So yeah, so the, yeah, there is there's nothing at stake at all, and yeah, hugely disappointing really, and. Um, but we both still gave it two and a half. <laughs> yeah, we did give it. Actually, we did, didn't we? Yeah, we did give it yeah. two and a half. Uh, as disappointing as we found it, we couldn't. <laughs> I mean, you always get. I mean, you get your standard half point for Chuck being in it anyway. That's, yeah, I that, mean, that's a given. When, when he's killing people, it's great. Yeah. He ate a rat. Come on, that's yeah. <laughs> it's not all bad, but it's no. just it's just it just suffers from that yeah. for me from that sameness yeah. throughout. Yeah, I mean, there's always something to be said for watching Chuck Norris on your screen, but you know, it's we've set the standard so high. He's set the standard so high for himself, you know, for the likes yeah. of us watching him that this this one's below the standard. But hey, Chuck Norris films are Chuck Norris films. So that's it's okay. It's a two and a half, like you said, despite that. But uh, yeah, could could have been better. Is the report card should have done better on this one, <laughs> but. Uh, mm. I wouldn't say it was worth a rewatch on reflection. I mean, it's one of those I'm bound to rewatch it at some point. Yeah. All right, when I've watched, you know, have a, a Chuck season, it's bound to be there. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can't you can't miss anything out, can you? So but interested to hear again, anybody, uh, if you want to fire us an email or a tweet, just uh, let us know your thoughts on it and maybe, you know, how it compares to number one for you. But um Yeah. But, but a strange two in this episode, mate. A strange two, wasn't it really? Very. Yeah, we've got average Chuck not giving us, you know, enough of what we like from him, and and we've got a a, a melty faced tape measure wielding sex maniac money money, money idiot money grabbing idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's take a break, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute, and to see uh, what next month's show will bring us. And it's my first time watch pick, and I'm going back to 1986. And we're going, mate. We haven't, I don't think we've touched on this genre while we've been doing these Decade of Decadence shows. I know we did back in the days of 80s Picture House, but we're going into the 80s women in prison genre. So, uh, can't believe it's taking you so long, Dave. I know. I thought it's about time we saw a shower scene because you to put your money. There's bound to be one. If it's a women in prison film, <laughs> there's got to be the obligatory shower scene. Surely. Uh, Vendetta. Never even heard of it before. No, I think I've seen, might, might have seen it like a poster about, but no. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's about a stunt woman, apparently, and visits a sister and end up in prison and we shall find out for when we talk about it there is um because i thought oh you, you know i find things and i thought oh, i've never seen that before let's see if it's on amazon is it on netflix is it wherever this it's got um it's on youtube free to watch it's a really good quality copy that's on there I popped it on quick it's a cracking quality copy so again everybody listening to this if you want to watch vendetta before we record the June show, we normally do it about the third week of the month. Uh, 
watch it. Send us an email again. Let us know your thoughts. We'll read them out on that show as well after we've talked about it. And it'll be interesting to hear other people's thoughts on Vendetta from 1986. Just have a quick look on YouTube. So, yeah, we're going into a women's prison next month, mate. Oh, dear. Mm. <laughs> See if we survive. <laughs> Right, my rewatch pick is from 1988. I pretty much have to do this, don't I? It's Braddock, Missing in Action Free. <laughs> Can't oh, not. Fair point, mate. Fair point. You, you it's may just as well. sitting there. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's asking for it. It's doing, may, as well, may as well go through. And we can only hope there's a shower scene in that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get that uh, Chuck Topless back, shall we, for number three. <laughs> Surely he's going to take his shirt off. Oh, that'll please Tina, because then that's the, the whole trilogy should have seen then. Gone from watching none of them to all three of them. That'll be good. What, 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 what a treat. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> that's it. Ping. Done. <laughs> good shout, mate. I like that one. That, that'll be good. Yeah, let, let's round it off and see if he comes back to form for the third one. Again, I, you know, if, if again, if you offered me the million pounds and I don't have to lift it from a suitcase and um, and you asked me to say, name a scene from, from Braddock Missing Action 3, I couldn't, mate. Off the top of my head now, I couldn't tell you anything that happens in it. I'm sure watching it again, after all these years, there'll be bits and I'll go, oh, yeah, I remember this now. But sat here, I can't. Can you, right right now, can you think of a scene that jumps out? No. No. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, so again, people listening, uh, Missing in Action 3. Watch it before uh, about the third third week of June. Send us an email. Let us know your thoughts on that. Vendetta and Missing in Action 3 are the ones to get in touch with us. Or anything. Send us an email about anything if you want. Uh, yeah. what, ways to do that. Website, of course, 60mw.co.uk. So contact us. Form on there. Uh, you can email us direct. Contact at 60mw.co.uk. Again, as always, everything's on the website. The links to Twitter and Instagram and everything else that we do, all the format shows, news and reviews, all of that. Again, hopefully all of you already visit there. If you don't, pay a visit. There's lots to have a look at. Uh, and that's it for this show, mate. And people hopefully won't notice, but maybe if they have, partway through our chat about Beyond the Seventh Door, the, uh, the internet went here at... 60 MW towers on, on a couple of times and we had a mad <laughs> mad scramble with Skype not working didn't we so uh, there, there may be see if you can spot the join when we're talking about mm -hmm. on the seventh door when the internet decided to uh, chuck up two fingers at us so a test of your editing prowess oh my god It'll, yeah I'm sure nobody will notice <laughs> I'll probably forget and there'll be like a 10 minute gap in the middle which has happened in the past as well. Yeah, it happened before, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it did. So, uh, yeah, let's let's hope I remember to do that this time. Uh, yeah. So, in, until next time, we'll be back with uh, yeah, Vendetta and Bra oh my words, yeah, that's made my night, mate. We're going to finish off Braddock. Nice one. We we shall go. So uh, yeah, it's it's tradition. I say goodbye. Leave Tom to finish the show. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Was that business you or party you that said goodbye? Yeah, I'll pull my hair back. Good, goodbye. No, no. I was going like, to say, uh, you've got to give us a business goodbye and then a party goodbye to finish off.
you know, business, business Tom, you're facing business Tom, you're facing the camera, the microphone. What would be a business Tom goodbye? <laughs> yeah, um, Pressure on. Till our next meeting, have a fortuitous month. Fortuitous. Yours sincerely, Thomas. Thomas. We even get the full Thomas. Now then, you, you've flicked the hair back, mate. You, you've given it a good rub at the back and got it all going. It's party Tom. Party Tom to say goodbye. Laters, bitches. <laughs>